0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome,
1: Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dan Howdyshell. Dan is a kind of a major player in uh, being a patient advocate who helped start what is commonly known as Kevin's Law. So, Dan, thanks for joining me today, and can you kind of explain? what Kevin's Law is and the story behind it for the listeners?
0: Uh, certainly. Um, Kevin's Law is actually not a new law. It is a revised pharmacy law that's already on the books in most states known as uh, the Emergency Prescription Refill Law. It goes by different names in different states. and is located in different parts of each ph- state pharmacy law book. So for us novices,
1: that's
0: very confusing when we try to – I I can't imagine uh, you pharmacists having to deal with all of that every day. It's overwhelming. But anyway, um, these laws were and are ineffective and outdated for meds like insulin, COPD puffers, blister packs, and, and how they're all packaged now. The majority of the states only went as far as following the pharmacist to extend a prescription 72-hour refill or maybe seven days, but if a doctor cannot be contacted to approve a new prescription, as we know, insulin comes in vials and COPD uh, meds come in puffers, which cannot be broken out into that. Uh, small of a quantity thus it ties the hands of the pharmacists to help their patients and i've talked to many many pharmacists that um, really are frustrated with that and and they find this law very you know, for helpful excuse me helpful for them we found this out while trying to understand how our son Kevin or anyone could be turned away from a pharmacy desk without any amount of their life-sustaining medication—that probably drove me crazy and lots of sleepless nights for six months to a year on the internet trying to trying to find out what the laws are, what what governs this. So I finally find the Ohio law and and was related. Is, yeah, when 2013, they had the 72-hour limit, which, under Kevin's law, and makes it Kevin's law, is, is that it is extended to 30 days or the smallest amount packaged. This law is not only good for the patients, but the pharmacists, so they do not jeopardize their license if uh, they exceed the amount allowed by law. So, in a nutshell, that's kind of how it became Kevin's law. And um, uh, even though it's not a new law, it's it's a revised uh, law.
1: Yeah, and I I think you hit that nail on the head with exactly explaining it. At, you can now give a 30-day supply in in numerous states. And one of the the big things that happened here was and you can fill in a little more specifics as you feel comfortable, but your son passed away because he didn't have access to insulin. And that was kind of where it started with this of, hey, you know, the pharmacist couldn't dispense it because it came in this 10 ml stock size, which was more than seven days or more than 72 hours worth, and they couldn't give it to him. And that's where, you know, it just seems common sense of, why can't we just add, you know, one refill on there in an emergency so they can get in contact with their prescriber, which we're seeing in the pandemic being a huge issue right now where people you know, are having to do telehealth visits. Doctors are backed up. Some aren't seeing patients. And so any litany of problems you have. So, yeah, I, I, that's why I think now this law applies more than more than ever, really, just because of the issues we're seeing in and around healthcare. Is that kind of like the way you are seeing it, too, as on the patient side with this?
0: Uh, yes, definitely. and and I'm glad you brought that up. In Colorado, I guess it's been about a year ago now when they passed this. So I listened in on all their testimony. The pharmacists played a critical role in the, in the passing of that in in Colorado. What they a couple of them did, they staffed at pharmacies on the way to the state house to make their presentations. And they gathered some information. What they found out was on on the two that they stopped at, um prescriptions were backed up seven to ten days. Oh wow. Yes. So uh yeah, that's that's a a big deal.
1: Yeah, and it it is a huge problem too, especially with the way that the the current pharmacy system is. It's still basically reimbursed for, you know, the more you fill, the more we pay you type of deal. There's some other issues with PBMs and services that are kind of changing a little bit, as I'm sure you learned a lot about with promoting this law and the recent years. Um but the one thing I found well, it, in, go ahead.
0: In the last five years I've learned more about pharmacies and state legislation than I ever thought I would <laughs> know, or care to know yeah you know
1: i'm a pharmacist and i think the same thing myself in the past few years with the way things keep flying at us left and right here uh, but one interesting thing that i thought was at least kind of unique was you had you had to reach out to state legislators to kind of share this issue so it could help become a law what was kind of the process that you went through or the timeline if you will roughly or abbreviated that helped get this go from when you realized needed addressed with your son until it became a law, in just Ohio and then rolling forward?
0: Now, after after we filed the initial law with the with the 72-hour limit on it, the obvious question for me was well, why didn't the pharmacist do that? So my wife and I mauled that over for a couple of weeks, and she's a very intellectual lady. She Said, you know what, it's probably because of the packaging. At the same time, uh, our Senator Gail Manning was, was holding a, um, local speaking engagement, um, listening session down at our local library. We almost didn't go, but we said, you know what, let's go. Let's give her the information and, and just see what happens. So as it turned out, nobody showed up for about two hours. So so we had the <laughs> Senator's ear, which was great. And she really grasped what we were telling her at, at the time. We, we told her Kevin's story. We discussed what we'd uncovered uh, as far as the law goes. And she took that and went back to Columbus to get the ball rolling. Uh, she recruited her uh Next to a neighbor her, her neighbor in the office next to her, Senator Dave Burke of Marysville, Ohio, who is a pharmacist and owns his own pharmacy, uh, to help tackle this issue. So he's very familiar with with all of that. And Dave Burke was was amazing, um, he did he did a podcast this was tied in without House Bill 188 uh, which is the um, uh, doctors and pharmacists what's um, word I'm looking for.
1: So the collaborative practice agreement?
0: Yes, the collaborative practice agreement. So but he only talked about. Kevin's law in that podcast, which I found totally amazing, and he gave he, it was it was a great podcast. He explained it beautifully, and then he wrote an article for um, his constituents that he works with in in the uh, Midwest. Uh, also, a very good article. So he was he was into this uh, totally from the get go. So they were able to get. All the entities together and have a meeting before the and hash out a law that everybody could live with. Obviously, pharmacists uh, play a part in that, doctors, maybe some nurses, insurance companies. So that, and, and I commend them for that because what they did getting everybody together initially, I think, reduced the amount of time they spent in session arguing about this, which they didn't, there was, there was no opposition, none wow. it passed uh, totally bipartisan, which in every state has been the case for this law. So the process took about from the time we started till March of 2016, when the law took effect about a year and a half.
1: Okay. So yeah, so it took a little while. I I think the one thing you hit on there, which I can't stress enough for people who want to see something change politically, is you just showed up. You guys went to a town hall meeting. You reached out. You just, I don't want to say did the minimum, but you just did the basic steps of reaching out to your congressperson. You didn't even call them. You didn't send them an email. You just showed up to a local town hall meeting. And Gail Manning is, she's no longer a senator. She's in the House of Representatives, if I remember correctly. Um, And Dave and Dave Burke is term limited this year, so he will no longer be serving uh, in the House or in the Senate, which is unfortunate as a pharmacist myself, knowing that I don't I might not have or won't have a pharmacist in in the legislature, especially someone like Dave Burke who helped push this forward because we've seen this roll out to uh, numerous states. Uh, You sent me a chart here. It looks like currently Michigan, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey and Iowa all have legislation that's pending around this. Uh, Ohio, PA, West Virginia, almost the whole Midwest and almost the whole West Coast already have something that meets Kevin's law or similar. With And the couple, a lot of the exceptions are kind of down South. It looks like Florida, Texas, Washington's an outlier, Alabama, Missouri, Maryland, some states like that. So it's kind of right. all over the US with the way that this law is laid out. And the interesting thing you said, when you look at this map, the states that have approved it, they can be red. They can be blue. It doesn't matter if they're somewhere in the middle. And they all passed it unanimously, which I think really speaks to why we need this on the books and why we need something like Kevin's law, not to just protect pharmacists. I mean, that, that does help. And that is nice as a pharmacist, don't have a little bit of protection. But the more important thing is to help the patients and to help me use my training, education, knowledge, and literally my inventory to help patients. That is
0: just exactly. the
1: right thing to do. <laughs>
0: We we could not. uh, Everything we've learned in the last uh, four and a half to six years, uh, working with pharmacists across the country, uh, you hit the nail on the head. You have so much to offer and we need to tap into that as a country uh, more and more.
1: Yeah, and I think the other thing that was interesting was that you said that they worked with it collaboratively, so there wasn't a whole lot of debate. And I think a lot of that's key too, uh, because there's so many turf wars in medicine of this person can do this, this person needs collaborative practice, this person needs whatever. But when you look at stuff like this and you just do the right thing for the patient, that should always be the thing that drives any law. Specifically Kevin's law, that's literally what it drives. And I've actually used this myself and in kind of leading up to the podcast, you had said that, yes, your son's issue was with the insulin. But this can hit a whole number of things. I've had patients come up and they they don't have refills on some of their psychiatric medication recently with the pandemic and they don't know when they're gonna be able to see their, um, their prescriber to get it. So I'll call them or I'll fax them and you know, who knows if they're in the office when this all started. And so what I would do there is just go, you know what? You're on multiple psych medications. I understand that, you know, you have major psychiatric illness and you need these medications because if you stop them, who knows what could happen to you. And we don't want, you know, this pandemic to affect more people than it does, especially when it comes to things like mental health, diabetes, blood pressure, things like that, that we have access to. So I've actually used Kevin's law for insulin, for other things, but especially for psych meds recently with the, with the pandemic hitting and. I know I can't use it for controlled substances, but I used it for, you know, Lexapro and other stuff like that to help people. And they were so appreciative of it. And, you know, even working where I work in a bigger chain, the system isn't really set up to handle that. And so a lot of times, you know, I just put who was the approving prescriber. And I just put Kevin's law right in there. Hit submit. And anybody who audits me is going to see that come through as, oh, okay, he knows his laws. He used Kevin's laws. And in fact, we've seen OPA and Antonio Chacha on calls with chains promoting this during the pandemic to pharmacists saying, look, here's a law in place. Use this to take care of your patients. This is something we, they kind of said that we did for you guys as pharmacists, but we did it so you can help patients. And that's one way that we're seeing this spread. It's it's a law that more people need to get familiar with, which is why I wanted to do this podcast on it. I wanted to I want to speak to the person whose heart was in it and the person who, like you who's pushed this to so many states and keeps doing so in, in memoriam to your son. But honestly, for all the patients out there all across the U.S., so I mean, thank you for doing this because this has helped me a lot take care of my patients. And I mean, even for things you might not have anticipated or might not have thought of at the time, but it really does a number to help take care of people.
0: Well, um, didn't know where we were going to go at first. We were just shooting in the dark. I just had, I could have let this go, but I just had this gut feeling that there's just something not right about this. And, um, fortunately with my background and (laughs) my strong family ties, we're all kind of bullheaded. So we, (laughs) we, uh, we get into things and uh, gonna make it happen. And and if you know Kevin, he would do anything for anybody, and has and everybody loves him to death. And it's just what he would do and what he would want.
1: Yeah, you know anybody who knows me outside of the podcast knows I'm the same way, which is I think why me and you clicked as soon as we started talking about this, and why like I appreciate the work you put in is because I know it's not an easy fight to have especially when you're talking about laws, legal processes, and just changing the status quo. But it's interesting to see that a patient or a patient, a patient advocate like you could do this probably as effective or more effectively than almost any pharmacist out there. And I think that just speaks volumes to some of the work you've put in with this Kevin's Law. And it also speaks volumes to how important it is that once you sit there and to discuss it, you have physicians, pharmacists, insurance, you have all of them lining up to say, yeah, this is the right thing to do. We need to cover this. We need to get this to the finish line. So, I mean, thanks again for doing this. One thing that we've kind of talked about recently too was if pharmacists had provider status, would we be able to bill the insurances for this 30 days? Because you kind of had mentioned in leading up to that insurance coverage is one of the issues with some of the wide-scale adoption with this. Now, I don't expect you to fully know everything about provider status, but do you think that that would be something that would help get this law expanded and be used more? As a pharmacist had a tool like that to put their name on it, sign off, and build the insurances.
0: Well, I kind of balked when you when you first, I first saw the question, and now that I looked into it a little bit. And knowing what I know, I absolutely think that that, that would be the way to go. Uh, I think it would be a huge help. Um, I think the, the pharmacists have a huge role in the future of this country, uh, and it's growing. And uh, we need to um, remove barriers. And I think that would be a big barrier to remove when people are are in a life and death situation, and a lot of people don't get diabetes, and I, I run into this in in healthcare offices, I have some pharmacists or pharmacy techs, they don't get that if you don't have your insulin, for example, your body is shutting down immediately. Yep, and it may take a while, but. Um, so we, we need to do whatever we can, especially like, like you've been saying, in today's age with the pandemic and everything that's going on, remove the barriers, make this as easy as possible for everybody. The ph- I know the pharmacists want nothing more than to help their patients. And, and the patients, to add to the stress, to say, well, I can't give you this today because of whatever state law. That just makes your heart sink.
1: Yeah, and as a pharmacist, being on the other side, I've had to have those discussions at various points. I actually started practicing about 2009, so before this law was in effect. And that was one of my biggest pain points was knowing that I have the knowledge and skill set to help somebody and knowing that the answer is literally behind me or next to me on a shelf and knowing that I am restricted from giving it to you. Especially for something like insulin, uh, a breathing medication or a psychiatric medication. That was always like bang my head in the counter. This is frustrating. (laughs) And it's not just for me, it's for the patient especially. And I mean, even the techs get frustrated by it. So that's why, you know, I'm I'm so happy to hear that there's people like you out there fighting for the right cause. And I know you said that this has taken a toll on your family because the amount of time you put into it, which just makes me further appreciate how how dogged you've been in your fight here. And not just fighting for pharmacists, but fighting for patients and fighting for pharmacists to be able to help patients. That is like one of those things that, you know, everyone thinks as a pharmacist, we're being greedy when we do it. Or, oh, you just want to make more money or billable claims or sell more stuff. When really, when we hear people like you speak up and tell that story from the other side of the counter, that's when we're like, yes, this is what we're saying.
0: <laughs> I am 73 years old. But I'm not set in my ways, and uh, with my background and and the the work I did uh, for a living, um, I, I have no problem looking into the future and and uh, seeing that we need change and and reaching out to make that change. And, and uh, like we've been talking, I I see the pharmacist playing a bigger, bigger role. And I and from a lot of people I've talked to over the years, uh, the legislators are getting that also.
1: That's good to hear, especially from your side of it. Uh, there's, I can't let you go on the podcast. Before I ask you two things, I ask everyone who comes on. And being as you're not a pharmacist, I always appreciate your answers a little more. If you could change one thing about pharmacy, what would it be in general?
0: Yeah, you know, the only the only thing I can think of because is is rid the system of PBMs. Um, that's oh, wow. that's a hot to- that's a hot topic. I've read a lot about it. Uh, I've talked to Antonio and and others about it. It, it. That that is a big negative in in your field.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you understand that from the patient side. It makes it makes me explaining it a lot easier. Um. If you could change one law about pharmacy, what would it be and why?
0: Well, again, I uh, <laughs> looking at your uh, looking at your uh, pharmacy law books, <laughs> you have way too many rules and laws and regulations. I can't can't even imagine how you keep up. But I guess the area I would want to cover and we've kind of hit on it here, is patients need an easier, quicker access to life-sustaining meds than is allowed by law now.
1: Okay. So essentially something like Kevin's Law expanded nationwide, or maybe it's the step into that provider status realm so that we can do something like Kevin's Law to help people out.
0: True. Exactly. Okay. I have have other things on, on my mind that we can talk about it offline one day because Antonio and I have had this conversation, but uh, it gets a little controversial. So, uh,
1: hey, you know what? Uh, anything that you want to do or work on, I I support you with this one. I I hope the other pharmacists hear the story, and hear that this is coming from the other side of the counter and take it to heart as something they can advocate for, which is uh which is why I do this podcast. So, thanks again for recording with me, uh, Dan Shell. I appreciate it. Um you've been a great guest and I i just mean so much to me that when I see somebody in your role who understands what we do and understands why we're fighting for you to try and take care of you.
0: Thank you very much, Eric. It, it was a pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you and converse with you uh, a couple of times recently and uh, hopefully we can do more in the future. And thank you for having me.
1: Oh, the pleasure is all mine. And, Thank you, listeners, for listening to Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.